stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. There are certainly issues on which from time to time there are different opinions, but it can be quite fluid in terms of people having different perspectives on, on one issue today and then and then being aligned with others on a different day. Uh, there, are, there are many significant, challenging and complex issues facing this country. And uh, I remain extremely optimistic about the future of the Conservative Party of Canada. Okay, well, that was uh, Alberta MP Garnet Jenis today. One of the MPs who had uh, pushed for this leadership vote today, caucus voted 73-45 in non-confidence, essentially voting to oust Aaron O'Toole as leader. So two years ago, the Conservative Party of Canada was uh, getting set for a leadership race, and here we are now in 2022. The party is going to do that yet again. Aaron O'Toole is out, an interim leader will be selected, and the party will embark on choosing another leader. Already, there are two uh, MPs who have declared their intent to run for leader, Eric Duncan and John Williamson. I suspect there will be others. But how do we get to this point? Where does the Conservative Party go from here? Is this helpful to have tossed overboard two leaders in the last couple of years? Why is the party so at odds around some important issues and direction? Well, we'll get to some of your phone calls on this, 403-974-8255. But joining us for some perspective on all of this, very pleased to welcome back to the program our friend Elise Mills, who was a conservative uh, commentator and analyst, strategist as well. Uh, Elise, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me back, Rob. Okay, so, I, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack here. I just want to get your initial impressions uh, of what unfolded today. I I think, I, I you know, I, as of, I want to be careful what I say here. As of about, I'd say, 10 weeks ago, I knew this was coming. I had heard about it. I knew that when the first blow uh, was executed from the leader's office towards uh, Saskatchewan Senator Denise Batters. I knew that there was bigger problems happening. But even prior to that, I was starting to push away myself as a conservative. I wasn't sure if I wanted to give any more money. I definitely didn't want to do much more punnetry. I didn't understand what we were doing. I hadn't seen the leader. Um, he flip-flopped his way through a campaign. Um, you know, he blamed his advisors, but the reality was that, as Mr. Harper understood, it all lands at the at the leader's feet. Um, I agree with Garnet's position um, that this is not binary. Everything is very fluid. I can find myself teaming up with Garnet, who is, I would suggest, is more to the right, maybe more socially. Well, I'm not socially conservative. I'm socially liberal, but a, a, a hard fiscal conservative, and I'm quite hawkish on foreign affairs and foreign policy, but I can line up with Garnet. I can line up with Michelle Rempel, Melissa Lantzman, uh, definitely Denise Batters. Um, and it's not about this hard right wing, as the leader tried to position in this video that he dropped yesterday or, or Monday night in an effort to sort of the last gasp of support. He tried to line it up that this was an ideological issue and that there was this danger coming from the right. And that is simply not what's going on. There has been a negligence around the leadership. Uh, he has been MIA. He hasn't taken responsibility. And the guy that we saw come out, 
out when he won the leadership with that exceptional sort of what I call Reagan-esque morning in America type speech, which I was so excited by. And I think I spoke to you about this, Rob, on one of your shows. He left the building five minutes after he gave that speech and we never saw him again. He was extremely exclusionary. Western Canada, what the party doesn't understand is that it's Western Canadian conservatives or those who vote for us because they're not necessarily party members. Um, what they, what people, what my colleagues in Ontario and Bay Street don't understand that we're basically running O'Toole's office is we're not a bunch of knuckle dragging right wing people that want to keep, you know, gays and lesbians and, you know, all different minorities, you know, out and, you know, that racist demon evil like behavior. That's yeah. not it. The reality is, and I'm sure your listeners will understand. And I can tell you this from being in government relations, Western Canada gets the raw end of the deal every single time. Companies that needed COVID support were denied. The same very style of companies were given tons of money in Quebec and Ontario and Atlantic Canada. We are constantly the butt of the joke. And that is what bubbled up in caucus. And it wasn't that we supported uh, racist overtones or racist uh, attacks that came out of the truckers uh, uh, convoy. It was that we understood that we had to put our foot down on how much the government's involved in what you do with your body. And I am a vaxxer. I fully Mm -hmm. support that. But Aaron O'Toole didn't seem to understand that this is a slippery slope on your human rights, your rights as a Canadian. And um, if, okay, where does it stop? COVID? Okay, is it then chickenpox? Is it a flu vaccine? I think everyone has the right to make those decisions. You must suffer those consequences, but you have the right to make those decisions. And it was just this rolling sort of talking points that came out of Aaron O'Toole's office that were all about everyone else was a problem and there was these demons hiding in the in the corners that were hard right wing, fire breathing people, but none of this had anything to do with him. And the reality is what Garnet said is absolutely true. It we needed a leader like Stephen Harper that makes you believe that he's on your side, that he understands you, that he's your supporter. And Stephen Harper, by no means, as you know, Rob, was a social conservative, but he is our most successful leader to date. Yeah. I, he's more successful than the, the Mulroney legacy, that's for sure. Um, he was able to have very good relationships with his caucus, uh, his front bench. And yeah, when you ticked him off, you ticked him off. But, and you definitely didn't want to be on the wrong side there, but mm-hmm. he also heard you out. And the problem was Aaron's door was permanently closed. Well, further to that point, because, you know, some people have pointed out that, you know, Stephen Harper did get the benefit of the doubt in 2004. He lost an election, but had the opportunity to move the party forward and, and obviously prevailed in, in 2006. You, you want to know why? Right? He knew yes, the assignment. Yes. He knew the assignment. When that election had a bunch of variables that what's happened in the last decade here, ha- that, that that has not been the what has happened. And specifically the election where O'Toole was leader, it was not comparable. And but what Mr. O'Toole should have understood and taken a page from Mr. Harper's book on is that you work 10 times harder. Mr. Harper was one of the hardest working politicians I've ever met in my entire life. Um, And after that defeat, uh, he knew where we had gained and he was going to work harder and harder and harder. And he knew that he had messages that were going to resonate with all Canadians. 
there had been a, a an absolute fiasco under uh, those the, the Liberal government. So Liberal Party was imploding, and it was imploding on its own corruption. And Western Canada still hadn't had a taste of being at the table in a fulsome way. And there were also uh, Canadians in Atlantic Canada that also felt that they hadn't been at the table in a fulsome way, and that this country is particularly dictated by Bay Street and whatever happens in Quebec. And I think he was able to close those gaps without excluding Ontario and Bay Street, you, if you get where I'm going with this. Yeah. He also gave us, a, he wet our whistle on being an adult at the table on foreign policy. And he definitely reminded us why Canada matters in foreign policy and international trade and what our strength and resilience is in all of that. I mean, you look at the banking fiasco around the world during you know the 2008 financial crisis and Canada came out clean and survived. And other countries looked at our banking institutions and our financial uh, situation, our sectors, and said, yeah, we would like a little part of that. And if you look now, that's part of what Mr. Harper still does to this very day in an advisory role. Now, people may not like Mr. Harper, but if you're a conservative or you're voting conservative, you want that style of leader because there's so many tribes in this party, very similar to the NDP. It's very tribal. It's it, the country has become more fractured uh, on regions and not just regions now, but community to community to community. And a lot of that has been done by Mr. Trudeau. It, it's also been allowed to stay because Mr. O'Toole was too afraid to get out of his box. And so we need a, a leader that is unapologetic in reminding us why we should feel like we're part of Canada. I bet you, Rob, if you did a, a call-in poll with your listeners, do you feel that, you know, do you feel very Canadian as a Western Canadian? Do you feel connected to this country? I, I suspect if people were allowed to do it anonymously and privately, there would be a lot of people, including some big names coming out of the West, that just feel disconnected like I do. Yeah, I think that's true, unfortunately. So there's a dilemma for the party because there are obviously some issues that needed to be addressed. But in the meantime, this this infighting, this turmoil does play into the hands of, yeah. of certainly the liberals, right? The Trudeau government's polling at under 30 percent. They're vulnerable on a lot of issues. So how do the conservatives now you know, deal with this and, and focus on what matters? Well, tonight, I think the first step is the interim leader. Right. Um, and um, I don't know necessarily who that's going to be. Um, I'm hoping that Candace Bergen does not put her name forward to interim leader because I want her to, I'm very interested in seeing her run for party leader and both cannot be accomplished at the same time. Um, but, you know, it's a, it would be good to have a caretaker. It'd be nice to see people in our, their 30s and 40s. And we have a whole new group of MPs that, that are in that age group and coming from many different walks of life across Canada. I'd like to see them take a kick at the interim leader because I think it gives them some very good experience when they're ready ready to run for leadership or leadership positions in the party from their positions as MPs and hopefully as ministers as we move forward. Um, but we'll know tonight, I'm, I'm not so worried about what's going to happen in the House or through sort of the ledge or sort of the legislative side of this right now, because as it stands, we don't have a plan forward, not only for the House, but to how we speak to Canadians and more importantly, how we're going to speak to conservatives because if you remember mr o'toole has been largely radio silent to the conservative party and its members for m many many weeks now i haven't seen mr o'toole 
apart from the, when the House returned, I haven't seen or heard much from him. Um, but there was there was lots of opportunities for him to correct the course here, and I disagree with everyone that said that he didn't have that opportunity. He had so many opportunities, and uh, it was sad that we couldn't he couldn't take the puck down the ice because I think he had some elements there that would have made him a very good leader, but he didn't have what Mr. Harper had, and we need to figure out what that, you know, that that chemistry that alchemy is um, because it's the party it's not about the party going hard right and breaking in and fracturing it's not going to fracture it's not I think I would say to your listeners stop listening to the Aaron O'Toole apologists that's not what this is about it's not about Western Canada they're trying to blame it on Western Canadian conservatives it is not that I think everybody understood, as Garnet said, we're not binary. We are very fluid. We will work with each other on multiple issues, um, and yeah, we'll fight over certain issues. If I'm a social liberal and there's a social conservative, you, you bet we're going to cross swords, but it's not going to burn the party down. So, without getting you to to embrace or endorse a candidate, let's let's put it this way. I mean, you know, Pierre Polyev is certainly going to be in the mix. Candace Bergen, you mentioned, maybe others, Michelle Rempel Garner, uh, maybe even Ronna Ambrose, perhaps. Uh, I'll ask you the question this way: Are you confident? Are you optimistic that that the right leader is out there? The person who understands what the party needs is going to be in the mix. Do you think? I think this might be apart from you know there there are some great names. You know, um, I mean. Obviously, I've always wanted to see Ron Ambrose come back, but that is wishful thinking. I've always wanted to see my former boss, Brad Wall, come back, but I know that's never going to happen. And so those two names are off the table. But when we're looking at the characteristics that, that really attract me to those two personalities, I can tell you there's a lot of people in their late 30s, in their 40s, early 50s in this party. They may not be MPs, but they would be very good fits. And I don't want to embarrass them or disincur- take out, you know, I don't want to say their names because I don't want to stop them from really having some time to think about it. Sure. Yeah. But there's other names like James Moore, as I mentioned, Candace Bergen. I mean, that Candace is a force to reckon with. She is consistently underestimated by the Liberals, and unfortunately Canadians don't, I don't think, know her very well. Well, the one problem that she has is she's not fluent in French. Her French is good, but it's not good enough. And so she'd have to work on that. I think it's time for a woman leader. I think it's time for a female leader. I'd be interested to see the, the, like the, the convergence of a Western female conservative. Um, that would be an interesting, interesting leadership to, to, to watch and for us, for, for me to be able to see what changes. She's very strong. So right now for me, I'm interested in her. I also heard that my former boss, Patrick Brown, uh, former premier of Ontario and now mayor of Brampton in Ontario is considering taking a run at it. That's very interesting because apparently he, you know, the pundits called him politically dead four years ago, five years ago, and now he's a mayor and he's, people are talking about him coming back. But I think what we need to do is we sort of need to let this marinate and rest a little bit, let the interim leader have some time to, and some runway. And then we need to figure out, I think us conservatives, I mean, as a, as a pundit and strategist, I've never been more out of the loop than I have been since the O'Toole year or years that have happened. So I'm about to roll up my sleeves, kind of look back into what's actually happening because I had to hold my nose and walk away because it, it breached all of, of the rules and, um, 
process that I'm used to having working with the Conservative Party as one of their people that speak for the party. Um, I was really disengaged. And um, I think, you know, Rob, when I stopped giving money and I stopped responding to emails, um, there is a serious problem. And I bet you that there's more on my side than there are on the other side on that story. We'll leave it at that. At least great to catch up. Always appreciate the perspective. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. You as well. Uh, there you go. That is Elise Mills, uh, conservative pundit and strategist, also a senior counsel in Canada-U.S. relations with GR Pro and Sagak Public Affairs in Washington now. So some perspective from her on what's happening back here at home with the Conservative Party of Canada. So Erin O'Toole ran a great campaign as uh, a leadership candidate. Still ran a pretty good campaign, I would argue, in the election as conservative leader. Uh, but Elise Mills making the case that it's the in-between and certainly that post-election period where he's really dropped the ball. And here we are now. He is out as leader. But the big news today out of Ottawa, where protests also continue, protests that uh, in part, I think we're hoping to bring about uh, Justin Trudeau's resignation. Instead, today we are reporting on the end of Aaron O'Toole's tenure as conservative party leader. Enough conservative MPs signed on to force a vote on O'Toole's leadership. That took place this morning. And in the end, it actually wasn't all that close. 73 to 45 in favor of Aaron O'Toole leaving his position. So the party will select an interim leader. and The party will then engage in a leadership race, which, of course, they did two years ago. Uh, they crowned Aaron O'Toole as leader in the first place. So it's been quite a day uh, in federal politics. Joining us uh, for the latest, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Alex Boudelier, who is the uh, senior national politics reporter for Global News, and of course, much more at globalnews.ca this afternoon here. Alex, thanks for making time for us. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Uh, so, by the way, was, was Aaron O'Toole in question period today? I saw that the, the Prime Minister and uh, Jagmeet Singh were saying nice things about him. Was was he there? No, I, I don't believe he was. Uh, Candace Bergen led, led uh, question period for uh, Mr. O'Toole. Uh, he did just release a statement. We have been waiting for it uh, for over an hour now, but he just released a statement on, on Twitter calling this, you know, the honor of his lifetime, um, <clears throat> offering some, you know, uh, perspectives on where he thinks the Conservative Party has to go. Of course, that's no longer up to him, as uh, you mentioned off the top, with 73 of his own MPs voting to start a leadership race for the third time in six years. Um, you know, the, the, the party has really not had any kind of stability at leadership since Stephen Harper resigned after the 2015 election. So, um, you know, conservatives here in Ottawa and across the country, including, uh, you know, in, in your listening range, uh, we'll be very familiar with what comes next. Uh, we'll have an interim leader for the party later tonight. Um, some names are already being floated uh, for who might take over in the interim. And then it'll be up to the party's governing body to decide whether they want a quick leadership race uh, or, or it'll stretch out again like it did in 2017 and uh, 2020. This all seemed to happen pretty fast, although there's there's clearly been some dissent brewing for a while, especially since the election. But what can we say at this point about how we got to this point? Yeah, I think you're spot on. It seems like it happened fast, but this has been brewing um, behind the scenes for, for several months, even before the last election and the disappointing results the Conservatives had. Um, you know, this really goes back to when Aaron O'Toole took over the party back in 2020, Remember, he ran as this true blue conservative that um, really tried to appeal to the sort of rock-ribbed conservative base. 
um, you know, with, you know, platforms like defunding the CBC and scrapping the carbon tax. And then, you know, once he did win the leadership, um, I would argue that he governed uh, the party as a very different person. You know, uh, he said he'd scrap the, the carbon tax, but then brought in his own version of it. Um, he planned to spend, you know, about a hundred billion dollars over 10 years if he had won the last election, including massive transfers to the provinces for health care. Um, you know, more money than the Liberals even sort of booked for spending over the next five years. So, you know, I think that rankled a lot of the rank and file uh, in the Conservative Party um, who felt that they were sold one bill of goods during the leadership and ended up with a different product once Mr. O'Toole took over. So while, while things definitely coalesced very, very quickly, this petition to oust him came together, I'm told, over a day and a half over the weekend um, after last week's caucus meeting. So things did come very quickly that in that respect. Um, but the tensions and the schisms within this party have been uh, with them for a very long time. In terms of who organized this, do, do we have a clear idea of, of who that was? I know there's one Alberta MP in particular, <clears throat> Garnet Jenis, who was kind of singled out as, as an organizer. I think Aaron O'Toole suggesting that maybe the vote over the confer, uh, conversion therapy ban uh, is part of the reason why this happened. I think there were some in caucus who pushed back against that idea. But what about those involved in, in organizing this vote? Do we have a clear idea of, of who they are and, and what was motivating them? Well, the public face of it until today was Bob Benzin, the uh, Calgary Heritage MP, uh, who came out with a statement Monday evening that really kicked this off after the Globe and Mail uh, first reported that the petition was in the works. Uh, there were 35 MPs, I've been told, and we've reported at globalnews.ca, um, who signed on to this effort. We don't have the full list of, of who they, they were. Mr. Uh, Genuis did say that he was one of them, but not the organizer. Uh, there are reports today that Chris Warkington, another well-known um, uh, MP from, from the West, uh, sponsored the petition and spoke to it today in caucus. Um, but what I'm told is that, you know, while Aaron O'Toole sort of painted this as a fight between social conservatives or the more extreme elements of the party, uh, and, you know, his optimistic vision for the party, uh, really I'm told that that doesn't really hold water, that it was a broad cross-section of MPs, yes, from the West, but also from Central Canada and, and out East, um, you know, social conservatives, sure, but, you know, people who are not associated with that movement, people who were elected 15 years ago and people who were elected in, in uh, 2021. So it really was a much more broad cross-section, and we saw that ultimately in the vote today. Um, you know, there are not yeah. 73 social conservatives in the Conservative caucus. Uh, clearly, the desire to get rid of Mr. O'Toole extended beyond that camp. Any sense that the protests were a factor here? I know it was an interesting contrast between Aaron O'Toole and, and sort of wavering about whether he would lend any support to the protests, you know, compared to, say, Pierre Polyev or Candace Bergen or some others who were more than willing to go and, and very publicly and happily meet with protesters. Did, did that play a factor at all, can we say, at this point? I think it probably signaled to the Conservative caucus that Mr. O'Toole hadn't really changed much since the last election. You know, one of the knocks internally against Mr. O'Toole was, um, you know, that he would sort of waffle on some of these issues, not really take a decisive position, um, you know, when, you know, under media scrutiny. And we saw that play out with the protests as well. You know, first he said that he would not be meeting with them. And he said he would be meeting with some truckers, but not the organizers. Then he posted photos from an undisclosed location, meeting with undisclosed people, no idea what those people had to say. And obviously that contrast, the contrast was obvious to everybody. 
right, uh, compared with <clears throat> Pierre Polyev, as you mentioned, Candice Bergen. This is not to say that that approach that Mr. Polyev and, and Ms. Bergen took was the right one and that Mr. O'Toole's was the wrong one. It just that it reinforced that perception within caucus that Mr. O'Toole can't pick a side and stick with it. All right, so moving forward now, as you mentioned, the party is going to select an interim leader. Now, Ronna Ambrose was the interim leader after Stephen Harper resigned, but Andrew Scheer stayed on as leader after he announced his resignation. We are going to have an interim leader, and I, I assume then that's going to be a, a sitting MP. Would that, would that be a safe assumption at this point? Yeah, it'll be a sitting MP. Okay. And some of the names that, we, that we've that we heard so far, um, Ms. Bergen, as we were just talking about, Carrie Lynn Finley, um, John Williamson, a New Brun- veteran New Brunswick MP, um, coming from that sort of more ideological, social conservative side, uh, Tom Kamich, who used to be uh, uh, caucus chair under Mr. Shear, well liked within caucus. Uh, so some people have already sort of stepped forward, and they'll they'll decide that very quickly tonight. Um, you're right that Mr. Shear stayed on after uh, he announced, announced that he would be stepping down in the future. Um, but the the key difference I think between Mr. Shear and, and Mr. O'Toole was. Mr. Scheer was facing pressure from outside of caucus. He was facing pressure from people in the conservative movement who have worked in uh, the conservative party uh, under Stephen Harper, who wanted him gone from the outside. He still had a lot of support in caucus. And even if if caucus didn't support his continued leadership, they liked Andrew as a person. Um, I think that we saw with Mr. O'Toole that there were he had a lot of enemies within caucus itself. And while there were certain people on the outside who were both supporting him and, and working against him, um, you know, the, the call was really coming from inside the House with this one. All right. Full details and ongoing coverage, uh, obviously, as we watch, see what happens uh, with the decision tonight on Interim Leader at GlobalNews.ca. Uh, again, Alex, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Anytime. Stay safe. Much appreciated. You as well. Alex uh, Boudelier, uh, Senior National Political Correspondent for uh, Global News, GlobalNews.ca much more uh, at the website. So, Aaron O'Toole is out. We know that. An interim leader will be selected tonight. We know that. It's up to the party now to decide on a timeline here for leadership race, and then obviously it's up to people to throw their hat into that leadership race. It is entirely possible uh, that we could have ourselves in an election before a leader is selected. I don't know if the liberals would be so... Cunning, I guess, is the word, maybe. I don't know. You could probably think of other words to describe it. Would they dare try to engineer an election before the conservatives can get a new leader in place or to spring an election on a new leader? The latest on the situation around Coots and the blockade that has closed the Canada-U.S. border crossing in Coots. It is a smaller blockade here today on this fifth day. About 40 vehicles, police say, still jamming up the southbound lane near Coots and another 60 tying up the northbound lane. Now, yesterday, uh, police say things did uh, escalate a little bit. Uh, This is RCMP Corporal uh, Curtis Peters uh, describing the situation when some uh, busted through the RCMP checkpoint to get back to the original blockade. There was actually a head-on collision that occurred during that time. While all this was unfolding, our stow operators were still at the uh, scene of the blockade itself. Given the mounting danger on Highway 4, they made the decision to reposition back a little bit, give this some time for things to settle. All of that also happened at the same time that those vehicles that and farm machinery that had breached the blockade or breached the, the northern boundary came into the blockade. 
Corporal Peters says the RCMP are being cautious and safe in how they handle this operation. The first priority is is the safety of people, right? That's that's really what's what matters most here is uh, the health and safety and the lives of, of the individuals involved. That includes protesters, that includes police, that includes citizens and other users of the roadway. We don't need to have head-on collisions on the highway. I'm calling for calm. I'm calling for a return to diplomacy and calmer heads. Well, certainly yesterday we heard the Premier call on this protest to come to an end. Uh, this has obviously cut off the, the village of Coots. It has uh, kept traffic from going across that border crossing, including a lot of trucks that are standed on, stranded on the U.S. side. Now, the federal government has added some support to some other border crossings to maybe help alleviate some of the pressure. But this protest continues. So why? Why does it continue? What is it they want? What is going to resolve all of this? Well, a group of protesters has retained a lawyer. Calgary lawyer Chad Williamson is representing uh, some of these protesters and joins us on the line here this afternoon. Chad, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Rob. Thanks for uh, granting me a little bit of an opportunity to uh, to speak with you today. Okay, so clarify for us then, who, who has retained you? Who are you representing here? Well, um, that information is a uh, privilege, is uh, lawyer-client confidentiality. Suffice to say that uh, a number of individuals have uh, asked us to represent their interests, and that may uh, expand uh, or decrease kind of on an ongoing basis. It's very fluid. Uh, we're here to uh, uh, informally provide general counsel services uh, to some of the protesters and uh, the other folks here uh, on site. Uh, and respond uh, uh, by providing uh, the, the the charter guaranteed uh, right to counsel to folks uh, just for passing advice uh, to assist uh, in any negotiations, which uh, up to this point have uh, uh, to a degree broken down, uh, and then respond and assist uh, anyone uh, if they are charged uh, with any offenses, regulatory or criminal, uh, resulting from their uh, uh, or or in relation to their involvement. Uh, uh, in 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 this uh, in this scenario, okay. And has anybody been charged? Are you representing anybody who is facing any charges at this point in connection with this? At, at this point, no. Uh, to my knowledge, there haven't been any charges laid. Uh, I believe that is uh, has been confirmed with RCMP. I could be mistaken, but I have no material uh, knowledge of anybody uh, being charged. There was some uh, discussion of uh, an assault against a police officer. Uh, obviously, Mr. Kenny uh, made some remarks uh, last night uh, indicating the same. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, the RCMP have confirmed uh, that there was no assault on a police officer last night. Again, it could be mistaken. This is all third-party information that I'm receiving. Um, but uh, I, I, I did understand that there was a scuffle uh, at another blockade or uh, at a location outside of the Coots location here uh, involving potentially two civilians in an altercation. Uh, but again, no charges to my knowledge, and we don't represent anyone who to this point has been charged with an offense. Okay, and so you're not physically present on the scene. You're not actually involved in in any of the negotiations with RCMP. Uh, I am, sir. I'm uh, I'm I'm wow. right down at uh, the Smuggler's Saloon, which is a kind of protester uh, HQ, uh, and right uh, in the midst of the convoy here with my co-counsel Martin Raymond. Okay, so what role are, are you playing at this point then? Well, right now, again, Rob, we're providing uh, kind of cursory legal advice. Uh, obviously, we're trying to de-escalate 
uh, you know, obviously advising um, the pro the protesters and some of the others involved of the potential consequences of any uh, uh, enforcement taken by the RCMP, which is obviously an anticipated step. Frankly, Rob, nobody wants uh, this blockade to continue. Um, largely, this group here is, uh, and I mean, I've met people all over the province uh, uh, assisting with uh, assisting with uh, COVID litigation over the last two years, and uh, this group of people is tremendously peaceful. Apart from um, uh, apart from obstructing the highway, uh, none of these people want to put anybody in danger. Uh, they're Frankly, they're caring, compassionate people who have suffered economic wreckage as a result of some of the COVID uh, restrictions that have been imposed on the people of this province and this country over the last two years. Uh, And frankly, some of them are at an economic and emotional breaking point, and uh, they're exercising their uh, charter uh, right to uh, peacefully protest. But isn't this also a protest that's, that's breaking the law by blocking this highway, blocking this community, blocking the border? Uh, obviously, that's arguable. Um, I mean, frankly, and, and, and not speaking generally on behalf of the protesters in this respect, but uh, just as a lawyer and observing what's been happening in this province over the last two years, uh, it's my view that we have seen some flagrant, anti-unconstitutional uh, 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 legislation being passed. Uh, we've seen some complacency uh, from the courts. Uh, frankly, we've seen folks who have been prevented from uh, partaking in due process and getting heard fairly in the courts to challenge uh, through the legal process some of the restrictions that have come down. Now, Rob, that's not to say, obviously, that COVID uh, is not dangerous. Um, that's that's acknowledged by everybody, uh, my office, uh, many of the protesters. Uh, but again, a balance needs to be struck uh, between uh, the up uh, the upheaval of 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 the very backbone uh, of our civilization uh, against the dangers posed by COVID, and I'm not sure that the right balance has been struck. And obviously, well, that, that, look, that's uh, that's obviously a subjective point you're making, and I think that's that's a reasonable policy conversation that Albertans can have. But what gives these protesters uh, a veto on that? Well, Rob, I, I don't think there's a veto. Um, frankly, well, but they're uh, saying they're know, not leaving until until something changes. They're they're demanding a policy change, and they're staying until that happens. Am I am I misreading the situation? Uh, there are, uh, I, I, I mean, it's a it's a diverse group, um, and 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 frankly, uh, the, the the vast majority of the protesters are demanding an end to uh, the the mandates uh, that have again inflicted uh, uh, economic ruin upon uh, many people in this province. So, um, what gives them the right? To, I mean, frankly, again, they have a right to peaceful protest. Uh, there are many people down here who are protesting who are not involved in the vehicle equipment that are uh, uh, obstructing the highway. Um, I mean, there's there's peaceful protests going on in Ottawa. And again, you know, we don't necessarily need to uh, get into an argument. But uh, uh, when you've got, you know, uh, thousands of people uh, that are protesting on Parliament, they're obstructing traffic. Is that lawful? Well, they have a right to peaceful protest, Rob. 
And uh, frankly, sometimes protests, uh, uh, sometimes protests cause uh, uh, not just inconveniences, but severe problems. And this protest is a direct result of the policies that have been implemented by the governments across right, this but country. This isn't, this isn't just a protest to say, hey, we're against these policies and we want to make sure that you know that. This seems to be, again, unless I'm misreading the situation, uh, much more than that, that we are not leaving. We are not reopening the, the village of Coots. We are not reopening the border until we get our way, until things happen as we demand that they happen. You know, Rob, I, I, I mean... Again, I'm not sure, sir, where you're getting your information. But okay, well, the, the, okay. The, then if I'm wrong, then if I'm wrong, what what is going to end this protest? Well, frankly, I mean, the RCMP came in yesterday and just basically said, if you guys don't leave, you're going to be charged and arrested. Uh, the protesters have always... And, and, and I stress this, always been open to dialogue with uh, law enforcement as well as the government of Alberta to have their concerns met. Frankly, they feel like they're just being swept under the rug. These are the people, Rob, that build this province. They're the people that deliver our goods. They're the people that well, farm Well, and so are the truckers, Chad, who are stranded on, on the uh, sweetgrass side at the border. They also do that, and they're also being negatively impacted. What is it going to take, again, to, to, to ask the question again, what is it going to take, what do they want, what will convince these protesters to, to go home? Uh, I, I, I mean, at this point, open dialogue with the government and and not being ignored by uh, the people who the who we voted in to represent us in the legislature would be a good start. And again, it's an ambulatory and fluid situation. And I don't have, Rob, all of the answers for you. But frankly, the jackboot is much less effective than the bargaining table. There are a lot of Albertans who have a lot of different concerns about pandemic response, where we need to go from here, the impact of various policies over the last few years. And I'm sure there are many groups, uh, many different kinds of workers, just many average Albertans who would like an audience as well with the government. What makes these protesters more deserving of an arg- of, of a audience with the government than any other Albertans? Well, Rob, Rob, I never said that. I mean, frankly, everybody deserves an audience with the uh, the government that represents them. That's why you can contact your MPs. Right, and these protesters can too, yeah. Yeah, well, and frankly, up to this point, uh, they feel as though nobody has listened to them. And, uh, I I mean, Rob, I don't think that anyone takes this lightly. The the protesters and everybody involved uh, in, in, in... in in what's happening here they understand the seriousness the impact and the implications of what they're doing and the potential risks involved both in terms of uh, being charged with offenses uh and the uh the uh, the, the the issues that it's causing for motorists and, and i mean they're sympathetic but it, 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 the discussion is very difficult when everyone says well you know what gives you the right to do it what about what about the damage that you're causing me again what, what 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 I've seen over and over over the last two years is everybody is everybody is 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 is, is, is wants wants people to shut down their businesses for two years and just take it and uh, you know accept that uh, we've got a public health mandate that obviously uh, puts people at risk and has killed many thousands of people and that's very serious. 
uh, and it's acknowledged. But to then turn around and say, well, what gives you the right to protest when you've lost the ability to run your feedlot or when you can't feed your family or when you have been fired uh, because you refuse to take a vaccination because of your relig- your charter protected religious beliefs. Again, it's, it's complete hypocrisy and it's circular. And uh, frankly, I think it's unacceptable and it doesn't uh, foster uh, cordiality uh, and the spirit of democracy and open dialogue and discourse that Canada used to be so well known for. And it's very troubling to see. Well, Chad, we'll leave it there. Appreciate you making some time for us here this afternoon. Rob, you're a good man and uh, wishing you all the best. Uh, thanks again. All right, there you go. Chad Williamson, uh, Calgary-based lawyer, who is on the scene and is representing a group of these protesters, not at liberty, he says, to identify who exactly, uh, but he is there providing some support, providing some legal advice, and and I guess playing a role in whatever negotiations are to take place, either with the RCMP or with the Alberta government. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, Rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.